0: All week, uh, God had, um, God had really, um, spoken to me. You know, I was praying for the church and just praying for where God, um, in my spirit, not, not just because, not just because we're on the verge of a new year, but you just kind of get a feel when you're praying for a church of where God's been leading you. And where God is going and what God has, you know, you go all the way back to, to the original call. Like, you know, when God, um, if you want to picture it like a phone call, you can, because that's kind of what we think of when we think about the call to ministry. But from the original time, God called me and said, hey, I want you to go there. You know, and there are things if you're really sensitive to the Holy Spirit that you immediately begin to recognize, God, this is what you're calling me to do. This is where you're sending me. This is what you want to do with this group of believers. And and uh, so God uh, just has a long period of time here that he's been speaking to me about this church. And um, so this message is a... Um, just a dialogue. Anybody ever have a dialogue with God about certain issues and certain things? And, and, um, and so all week, this is where it gets interesting. All week, I was very confident what God wanted me to speak about. And so normally what I'll do is I'll pray about it all week, and I'm so happy when God speaks to me early, and I don't have to like really press hard because I haven't heard yet. Makes me nervous sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I'm just kind of like that again, you know. I'll have to really press this week and really seek you, Lord. And, but God really early spoke to me. And, um, He said that He wants me to speak. <laughs> it's almost funny. He said, I want to, I want you to speak about launching out. Which isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing. But what I normally do is I'll pray all week and I really don't put anything on paper. I don't want to limit myself to my notes or my paper. I want to really hear from the Holy Spirit. And so before I go to bed on Saturday night, I always know what my message is going to be. Almost always. There's times I don't. Most of the time I do. And it's right here. And I'll go to bed when I know that I've got that message. And then I'll lay down and sometimes God will, you know, speak to me through my dreams after that. But then I'll get up real early in the morning, you know, usually four or five, and, I, and I'll just write my notes down because I want it to be fresh. And so I went to bed with this message right here launching out. And I wake up to write my notes down and I've got two uh, messages on there from Web's our Wellsprings. Facebook page. And there were two messages that Daryl posted called launching out. (laughs) I was like, wow. Not just one, but it was part one and part two from the exact text I was going to speak from today. So I was like, oh no, you say that's a good thing. And it probably is. And I'm trying to figure out what God's doing with it. But it's like, man, did you just get that message off of Facebook? that we just posted on our website but but I'm going to take this as being it really is amazing. I mean, if you think about the odds that that could happen that a message would be posted on the exact chapter and verse that I'm preaching on today and and actually I was even going to call it launching out. Not I think it's launch launched from the deep or something like that. And uh so I'm going to call this part 3. And what's really funny is I've got like a really good memory when it comes to messages. And most of those messages that have been posted, I was actually in the congregation. I was the youth pastor. So I can, I can actually remember, um, I can even, I can remember a lot of those services, what I was doing in those services. I can remember like where I was sitting, what I was doing. I was actually doing a discipleship program, teaching the kids how to take notes. So I can remember taking notes on those messages. And uh, so I've got a really good memory about all the messages, but they're all during that period, which is really amazing, uh, when I was sitting there listening to those messages. And uh, so the Lord just began to speak to me, you know, since I've been here. Um, the Lord is just allowing me to see things that you can only see through faith. And so this particular message... Um, God just began to pour it out to me this week. And I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5. Because this is a message for this church. And I don't know the reason exactly. I'm still praying about why God would um, have two of his messages posted on our Facebook. And why I'm preaching the same message today. And... Um, I know that particular period of time, it was at Cornerstone, we remember those days, launching from the deep, and I could just remember God was really moving, this was 2002, and the kids were just on fire for God, the church was really moving, Uh, we were ready to launch, and it's like an interruption, right, would you agree with that? Like we were ready to launch, and for whatever reason, there was just an interruption. And you know, when you're ready to launch out in the Spirit, and this is talking about launching out for a fishing expedition, and when they're trying to launch out, how many know that there's a preparation for that ship? Like you may prepare for a long period of time, and then you're ready to launch. And uh, what God is really speaking to this church is there may have been interruptions, But God is building. When I came to this church, I'm building on the work that Pastor Rod did here. You know, when he says he's ready to launch and God's ready to do something through his spirit in this church, what I'm doing is walking into a situation where God had prepared you to do something great. And God is ready to launch you where God wants you to be. He There's a purpose in your life. And God wants to launch you. And Pastor Rod prepared you for that. How many know when Pastor Rod passed away, you guys began to be launched? You began to be launched, your purpose and the plan that God has for your life, He's beginning to launch you out into that ministry. And this particular text is going to explain what God is going to be doing in the near future in your life. It's a prophetic message. It's a message that is uh, going to speak directly into your life where God is calling this church. And one thing we cannot do, we can't sit back and say, I'm not going to allow God to launch me. God, I want to do what you called me to do. I want this church to go where you called this church to be. So if you would, look at Luke chapter 5. We're going to read it. Verse 1, it says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one that belonged to Simon. That's Peter, is what his name would become and ask him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. If you could picture this, it's like a pulpit in the middle of a bay, and the acoustics are there for him to speak to everybody from this boat. How awesome is that? Floating platform. That'd be great. Except I can't swim. So if we did that, I'd have to wear a life jacket, which would be awkward. Oh, and I did wear my salmon-colored shirt today for this message. They didn't have salmon in that area, but that's fine. <laughs> yes. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, which is Peter, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught a large number of fish so that the nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, whatever Simon Peter seen here, it, it just messed him up because he Remember when I talked about a theophany or a messiophany or a Christophany? This is a moment where Peter had one of those. He, what he's seen was so upsetting to him that he fell to the ground and began to worship this man as, he, as if he was God. So it really was terrifying to him, whatever he seen. Simon Peter saw this. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. So you see on one boat, basically, is Andrew and his brother Peter. And then their partners in the business of fishing is James and John. So they're in the other boat, and there's so much fish, they have to work together to haul it in. they're still about to sink. Okay. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will fish for people or men. So they pulled their boats up on shore and they left everything and followed him. And Jesus, oh, I'm sorry. Pulled their boats to shore, left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord God, put your life into this message, Lord God. Oh, Father, let it live, Lord God. Father, let it breathe, Lord. Father, let it find a place in hearts today, Lord God. Hide me. Be glorified, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. This is, in fact, the title of my message is, just because I had to change it, we can either call it part three or we can call it the calling of God. Because I want you to really think about God's call in your life. You say, well, wait a minute. You're talking about Peter, Andrew, James, and John. I mean, they're legends. How in the world can I apply this to me? Because those guys are great. I mean, think about it. I mean, those are the, that's like the Hall of Fame of New Testament people. All right. We got to rethink this whole story because Jesus is about to call his disciples, his apostles, the ones he was going to build the church on, his pastors. He's calling his pastors, his apostles, his disciples. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He comes up from being baptized with John, goes into the wilderness, and immediately begins to call out his team that's going to pastor his church and be his leaders. Now, if you really look at this story, that's going to amaze you. Because how many of you would have went to the synagogue? You would have went to the religious leaders. You would have went to the educated people. You would have went to people that were, in appearance, able to handle this call, right? Fishermen. Let that sink in. These are very, very normal men. These are men, in fact, this area here is called the Sea of Galilee. And it's not a sea. It's actually a freshwater lake. Yeah, this is not the ocean. This is not a sea. It's called here, Luke pretty accurately calls it the Lake of Gennesaret. It's also the Sea of Galilee. It's also called uh, Lake Tiberias. And, and it's not really a sea or an ocean. It's freshwater. So this is a lake that is landlocked. And it's not a real huge body of water. It's the biggest freshwater lake in Israel. But you can take a bicycle and you can ride around it in a day. 30 some odd miles in circumference, 33 miles in circumference. But Jesus taught so many lessons on the Sea of Galilee. And remember, Jesus was from Nazareth. He was a man of Galilee. So Jesus grew up in all these little cities were around this lake. You know, you had Magdala, where Mary was from. Uh, you had Nazareth. You had a uh, Capernaum. You had... a uh, Bethsaida, you had all these cities around Galilee and Jesus uh, begins his ministry there and how many lessons did he teach from this from this lake this freshwater lake in fact let me tell you some measurements of this lake 33 miles circumference literally you could ride a bike around in a day it is um, the maximum depth in this lake, is 141 feet, so it has some deep areas, but it's not the ocean, all right? It's 140 feet at its deepest point, and it was caused by a couple of uh, earthquake plates, you know, and it's the lowest freshwater lake in the world. In fact, the only body of water that's lower is the Dead Sea, and it's the lowest, but this is the lowest freshwater. The Dead Sea is actually saltwater. But the fresh water, it's the lowest in the world. But it's 141 feet deep. So it's deep, but it's not the ocean. And um, well, anyway, Jesus, this is the same Sea of Galilee that he taught, that he walked on the water. We're out there and he began to walk on the water. This is the same Sea of Galilee where they were in the ship and they were afraid and there was a sudden storm. Uh, you know, if you're ever at Kentucky Lake, you know, Kentucky Lake is known for sudden storms. I'll tell you a story about that maybe later. But this place was known for sudden storms. It just hit it out of nowhere. And so there were lessons. Even when Jesus was resurrected, this is the place where he's seen them fishing and came back um, to for them to, to minister to them in his glorified body. So a lot of things happened around this lake, Tiberius, or the Sea of Galilee or or uh, what he calls it here, the same body of water, Lake of Gennesaret. But uh, Jesus starts to call his disciples, and this is really important, because he calls fishermen. Your pastor is going to be a fisherman, okay? He's coming around looking for the people to lead his church, and he finds common men who are in a boat fishing. And every historical record you see about these people is they were average people. They weren't particularly intelligent people. They weren't dumb because they had a business. In fact, they say the house of Peter was a pretty large house. So even though they were rough, even though they were not necessarily well educated, even though they were kind of dirty a little bit all the time because they worked with their hands, they had calluses on their hands. They worked really hard. It was a rough occupation. You know, you're constantly pulling giant nets out of the water. I mean, they were probably pretty well built. But they were rough men. They weren't the ones to start a church with. Okay, I would not start a church with this group. I would go to the colleges. I would go to the universities. I would go to the academies. And I would look for somebody qualified to do it. But Jesus did not do it. He's calling His disciples. He's calling out for somebody to answer the call, and He chooses them. And what God is trying to speak today is He chose us. Everywhere they went across the landscape, they were raising up pastors and leaders and shepherds from common people, people that would answer the call of God, people that were ready to move across the landscape and plant churches and shepherd them. And the moment that I walked in this door, that's what God began to speak to me. Chad, you're going to raise up shepherds. If you came to sit in this church and ride on a pew, this is probably not your church. God wants to raise up shepherds that are ready to shepherd. People that are ready to teach. People that are ready to preach. People that are called of God like these men were called of God. And God, just as sure as I'm standing here, is going to raise up people to do that. Now you need to start thinking about yourself a little bit here, because God's calling a lot of you in this room. And so he's walking along and he, and fishermen, I just, I can't get over this. This is groundbreaking. It is groundbreaking. You, the fishermen, Now it sounds really good because in Acts we see Peter preaching powerful sermons. He was just on a boat fishing. His whole life he'd Alright? And Jesus is beginning to teach these guys some lessons so he can prepare them to win the world. And guess what that means? He's preparing us to do the exact same thing he called the early church to do. We need to get rid of our religious ideals We need to get rid of this clergy-laity split where only a minister can do the work of the gospel. When God says, my job is to raise up people for the work of the gospel, raise up ministers to do the work of the gospel. I'm to raise that up. And he calls these men, and what's really interesting is it looks like he just walks, if you just read the Luke part of it and you take out the other gospels, it looks like he walks up, jumps on a boat with a guy that really doesn't know him. And he's like, hey, you know, i want to use your boat to preach. And Peter's like, oh, whatever. We're dry. That's off and cleaning them. And then he just starts to preach. And he's like, hey, let's go on out to the water. And um, and then when he's out there, he's like, hey, I know your boat's about to sink and you got a bunch of fish in there, but won't you just follow me? I'm like, OK. We put our whole life in this business. But yeah, sure. Doesn't it seem real like they don't hardly know him, right? But if you go to John chapter one, turn to John chapter one. Look at this. John chapter one, verse thirty five. The next day John the Baptist, and he wasn't actually Baptist. Did you know that? Some people think he was a Baptist. But he baptized, which made him a baptizer. There was John the Baptist, then Andrew the Presbyterian. No, there wasn't. Not John the Baptist, okay? The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. So John is there baptizing. And if you don't notice that, there's two disciples of John with him. All right? When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him, what did they hear him say? There's the Lamb of God. Two disciples heard it. Heard him say this, so they followed Jesus. So the two disciples heard John say this, so they started following Jesus. Now, who are the two disciples? It says, turning around, Jesus saw that they were following him and asked them what want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. And it was about the tenth hour. Andrew, whose brother? Simon Peter's brother was one of the two. He heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did when he, first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him about who the Lamb of God, I found the Messiah. All right? So he goes and finds Peter, or Simon at this point, and he says, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And although he brought him to Jesus, Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. And you see this pattern with Jesus. He knows them before they ever meet him. But do you notice that they were seeking him? They were seeking Jesus. Now where were the religious leaders at? Where were all these educated religious leaders, people that supposedly have been waiting two thousand years for a Messiah, and every week talked about how they were meeting, waiting for the Messiah, he comes, and the fishermen recognize him. They're seeking out God, and nobody else is. Two disciples John had. The minute he says they're the Lamb of God, they leave John, and Andrew runs immediately to Peter. Peter immediately leaves whatever he's doing, probably fishing for his job, immediately leaves, finds Jesus at a late hour, and says, hey, Simon. Son of John, you're going to be called Peter now, which means the rock. All right, not the rock is in the World Wrestling Federation rock, but the rock of the church. I mean, love that I, I, I put wrestling in there. Yeah, that's good. But I got to keep. I got to keep it real, even with this pink shirt on. <laughs> oh, but but he already. Do you see something here? Jesus is seeing something in people that nobody else sees. He's seeing the invisible because he has faith. And this is going to play out here in a minute. He already sees the invisible and nobody else sees it, but he sees it. You're going to be the rock of the church, Peter. I'm going to rename you. Peter's like, I just met you. How do you So he's already met him. You notice another thing that happens in Luke chapter 5 where I was reading, look just a few verses back. Not only did Jesus meet Peter and rename him, it says, chapter 4, verse 38, before he meets him on the shore, it says, Jesus left the synagogue, went to the home of Simon. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. They asked Jesus to help her, so he bent over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. And then everybody in the community who was sick started coming to Jesus. This is when they started really pressing him. But who did he heal? The fisherman's ma- mother in law. Now, he must have really liked his mother in law. You know, that's, yeah, that's, um, that's more amazing than maybe, no, it's No, I'm just kidding. Alright. We'll pick on mother in laws. I love my mother in law. <clears throat> My wife is giving me the look, but did you see that they were seeking Jesus? So when Jesus comes down to the water, in fact, do you know that there were three encounters with Jesus? One, the one I read in Jerusalem, where he renames Peter, heals the mother-in-law. Then another one where he said, "Come, follow me." They're actually throwing casting nets. And if you don't watch it carefully in the harmony of the Gospels, you don't realize you know, them three different times. The second time, they're throwing a casting net, and he says, hey, come follow me. And they were like, okay, whatever. And then they go back to fishing. And then another day, it's a circumstance. If you don't watch it close, you don't see this. It's a different circumstance the next time, because they're not casting nets. They're actually drying nets and cleaning nets. And he walks by, and he... Sees him from a distance. And and so he already knows who Peter is, and Peter is already seeking God. So number one, the thing I want you to notice first is, we're not any different than these fishermen. God has big plans for this church. And if we get a hold of it, and I can raise up the people that God has called me to raise up, if you won't just come and, for a show, if you won't just come to hear the pastor preach, if you won't just come to, to see a concert or and you come to this place and say, I'm the call of God, I'm the one God's raising up, God wants to win this city, God wants to do great things, and you can begin to get a hold of that, God's going to do something great. In fact, I heard a, a teacher one time say, Eddie and I were uh, listening to a speaker and he said, you're either a sugar.'" Or you're a protein. When I preach, I'm a sugar or a protein. Sugar is the really good one. No, I'm just kidding. You said that, so I... (laughs) Sugar, though. If I eat a lot of sugar, what's going to happen to my energy level? It's going to spike up, though, isn't it, James? It's going to spike up for how long? 25 to 45 minutes, it's going to spike up, and then what's going to happen? It's going to do you my body. Now, I don't eat sugar, right? You don't, I don't. But if somebody did, it would spike it up 25 to 45 minutes, and then it would be damaging. But if I eat a protein, what's going to happen? It's a building block of muscle. It's going to make me stronger now and for the future. Now, when you come in here preaching, what does it do to you? Man, I'm so excited. It was such a good word. Man, I'm pumped up. Man, there's that spike on Sunday. Man, what happened on Monday? I'm weaker than I was before. And because what God wants to do is raise up Andrew, Peter, James, John. He wants to raise up people that are called to the ministry, called to shepherd, called to preach, called to teach. I shouldn't be the guy doing this all the time. God's going to raise up out of this church leaders and it's going to be you guys. Everybody in this church, God is calling to the work of the ministry. And, but the protein, man, if, if what I'm preaching to you is protein, You're going to build spiritual muscle. And you're going to go and you're going to learn it and you're going to teach it to somebody else because you have spiritual muscles. You're empowered to be a minister. You're empowered to preach the gospel. And this is what you see all through the church. People empowered. They see themselves as not fishermen. They see themselves as ministers of this gospel and they're making a difference in this world. So here, man, Jesus wants to launch them into a deeper part of the water where they can actually catch fish. But where does he preach at? He preaches in the shallow. Oh, that's not right, man. I come to church to get something deep. Give it to me. Deep. The preaching is in the shallow. The work is in the deep. Mm. I just want the preaching. I want to feel good. I want something that will make me feel really good personally. I want something that will tickle my itching ear. Maybe you'll get something that will put you at work. Maybe you'll get a new occupation for your life like they did. A new preoccupation for your life like they did. And what God wants to do is take us out into the deep and it's out there. The shallows right here. I could sit on a boat in the shallows all day and preach, but I'm just a sugar. I'm sweet. (laughs) But if I'm a protein... I'm launching your life out into the deep. What does that mean? That means my family. I'm going to flex a little of that muscle. And I'm going to teach them the ways of the Lord. I'm going to stand up. I just caused him to choke up. It's all right, little bro. It'll be all right. Did I flex too much? Sorry. I'm always halfway watching that corner, just so you know. I think I did. Yeah. But here's the next thing. The reason this miraculous thing happened is because Jesus was on the boat. Jesus not on the boat, they catch nothing. They're worn out and nothing supernatural happens. But Jesus chose to get on his boat. He didn't choose anybody else. Why choose a dirty, stinky fisherman? And here's the thing. They were seeking God. So, where is God calling us first to seek Him like we never have before? To get into His presence. In fact, the Holy Spirit was telling me this morning He said, I heard, I heard what you said to me this morning. That I'm not as close to you as you used to be. Spirit told me that this morning, that you said that. Somebody in this room, I'm not as close to you as I used to be, and God says, I'm still chasing you. I'm still crazy about you. I'm still chasing you. I'm still trying to speak to you. I still want to be with you, but you're not as close to me as you used to be. I can't tell you the things I want to tell you like I used to. And God is calling us back to his presence. We're going to build a prayer room. And we're not just going to have a beautiful room or a pretty room. We're going to have a room where we seek the face of God like we never had before. I believe it with all of my heart. That's where God is calling us because Jesus has to be on our boat. He has to be the commander of that boat. Did you see how quickly Peter called him Sir and Master and Lord? I mean, this is a man who's an experienced fisherman his whole life. And if you don't know the background of the many meetings they already had and the fact that he was seeking him out, you think, wow, how did Peter even say Master? He said Master because he already had recognized he was the Lamb of God. Already recognized that he was the one that God sent as a Messiah, and he was allowing God to steer his boat. You're not getting this. This is the equivalent of your wife driving your car. How dare she take my car and navigate it? It's my car. I do all the driving. I don't sit in the passenger seat. Right? How much pride did Peter have to lose in order to allow Jesus to steer his boat and tell him where to go? In fact, I was reading about this. Listen to this. Let's see. I did a lot of studying on these nets. It says before the fishermen turned in for the day, they carefully washed their nets and hung them to dry. If the linen nets were not dried properly in the sun after use, they would rot very quickly. And it says from the gospel account, Jesus arrived at the lakeshore while the fishermen were still washing their nets and immediately going into their boats. He began to teach. Basically, if you look at the history of this, this was the end of their day. This was after hours. They were third shift workers. And it goes on to say the trammel net or the type of net that they're using to fish in the deep, it had to be dried during the day in the sun. It would be the first thing in the morning and they would be completely done, worn out. They were third shift workers. Okay, they had to do it at night because the fish had greater visibility during the day and they would see the net. So it made no sense... At the end of your work day, in the after hours, how many get tired at the end of your shift? Third shift workers, I love them, man. I've worked a lot of third shift. There's something about that. I don't know, they had time maybe to go see him when he was baptizing. John was baptizing. They were there. They were the ones that were showing up, watching Jesus teach on the side of the river there, on the side of the lake. I mean, these guys were third shift workers. But for some reason... Peter didn't have pride when Jesus said something that didn't make any sense. Go on and take the net. Well, we got to dry them or they'll rot. He said, no, take the nets. Let's go out during the day. It was against everything Peter would have thought. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were the leaders of these two ships. But Jesus said, no, it makes perfect sense. I'm going to teach you something about faith. And he's trying to teach us this morning. He said, take it. Let's go out. And he said, well, and you can see Peter. They don't make any sense. So but because you say it, master, I'll do it. And he's worn out. He's worked all night. Like I said, they're third shift workers are at the end of their day. This is overtime. This is extra hours. Their whole crew is working. They're paying the crew. Right. And it's a pretty large crew for these nets. So they go out. They drop the net down. And Jesus prophetically is saying something to them. They catch so much fish that Peter is startled. He's afraid. He's afraid. Because what Jesus just did made no sense. And he's never seen a catch like that. So, mu- so great of a catch, so against the laws of nature was that catch. Peter is trembling at his knees saying, Leave me, I'm a sinful man. He just seen God. Because it was so unusual for a seasoned fisherman to see what he seen, he was startled and scared and afraid because he knew he'd seen God. And what was Jesus seeing, though, when he did that? Jesus was seeing their prophetic future. He said, now you will no longer, this is the one that put them over the top. Because they went back to fishing after he said to be my disciples the first time. This put him over the top because he said, now you're not going to catch fish anymore. This is a prophetic word to you that you're going to catch men now. You're going to catch men for God's glory like you just caught those fish. And I'm going to be leading the boat. Some of you, God has been the Lord of your life. You said, God, I've got a lot of pride in myself, a lot of confidence in myself, but you're the Lord of my life now. And God's saying, I want you to begin to see things like Jesus sees them. Jesus was seeing things that were invisible. He's seen Peter was a leader in the church, but he was a fisherman. He's seen Andrew was a leader in the church, but Andrew was a stinky fisherman. Alright, he's seen James and John were leaders of the church, but they weren't qualified to be that. And he's looking at every one of you today and he's saying, will you be Will you allow yourself to be launched into ministry? You say, well, what do I have to do, be a full-time minister? No, you have to be full-time with the gospel. You have to be full-time, all-in on this thing. When we go to seek God, we're going to seek God with everything in us because he has to be on the boat. He has to be steering us. He has to be telling us when to drop the net. God's going to do great things. And what did Jesus see when He seen that net go down and the fish come up? Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. Some of you say, man, I want to do something for God. But see, here's the problem. I'm going to get there in a second to stay there. The kind of boat that you have tells exactly what you have in mind. you know that uh, one time I had the owner of an auto dealership was giving away a pulp for a prize? And it was a $6,000 bass boat, aluminum, 17 feet, trolling motor on the front, motor on the back. And the owner of that dealership came to me one day and he said, Chad, you're a young father. He said, if nobody wins this boat, he said, I'm going to sell it to you really cheap. So he sold me that bass boat. But all I'd ever done my whole life is fish the bottoms. And that bass boat was not made to fish the bottoms. It was a good boat, and it did good in certain things, but one time a storm came at Kentucky Lake suddenly. My family was in the basketball with me. And it's a flat-bottom aluminum boat. And you know when the waves start crashing, that little flat-bottom aluminum boat just got tossed everywhere. I could not cut the water because I needed a V-bottom hull to cut through that water. And I got stranded on a little... Area there, the Coast Guard had to come pick up my family. My wife was pregnant and rolled down a hill, and it was a disaster. <laughs> but I didn't have the right boat. But, you know, these men, you know, there's all kinds of different boats that God puts you in. You know, sometimes, um, sometimes, like, these men had to learn. You know how educated some jobs are? Like, if you're a fisherman... You know that you're educated in meteorology, like the weather. You're educated in business. I mean, these were successful businessmen. You know, they're educated in marine biology. In fact, I always thought it was fascinating to see how high the education level is, like for a farmer in several different areas, areas of business and areas of, you know, earth science and just every, all the sciences, how educated are they in each area by being that type of a worker? A fisherman, how educated are they in these sciences without ever being at a college? You know, it's amazing, really, the knowledge that, that they have. And, um, you know, as a fisherman, I want you to think about all the different places that God put these guys when they were young. You might be in a sailboat. Now, why would God put me in a sailboat? I'll preach a sermon on that one time. He wants me to discern the wind. You know, if I'm a, if I'm a fisherman, I've got to understand the wind. Sometimes God will put you in a rowboat in tempestuous waters, waters that are storming. And He'll say, trust me. You know, God will put you in a lot of different, sometimes you're like, man, all I want to do is fish for myself. I just want to have a rod and reel and I want to catch enough for me to eat. And so you've got a certain kind of boat too. In fact, I see the sport fisherman. He just wants a trophy. I'm like, man, I, fi- I I garden and things to eat. All right? I fish to eat. All right? You spend a lot of money on a boat just for trophies. Right? But here's something different. God's saying, you're going to need some help. You're going to need a bigger boat. This is commercial fishing. And he said, whatever's going to happen out there, you're not going to be able to handle it yourself. You see, the boat is sinking and the net's breaking, and he has to get his partner to come help him. And Jesus is trying to tell him something. The places and the things that I want to do through my church, you're going to have to do it together. You're going to have to do it together. You're going to have to learn how to bind together or you're going to lose the catch. What do you do? When the catch is so big that your boat is about to sink. I mean, you're exhausted. You're trying to do the work of the Lord. You say, man, I do it on my own. I do my own evangelism. I do my own pre-gospel. I do my own thing. And God's saying it's not going to work. You're not going to be able to hold up under the pressure of it. You're not going to be able to handle it. You're going to have to learn to work together. And in Acts chapter 2, Jesus sees this on that lake. He sees the prophecy fulfilled that these men are going to have so much fish that they have to surround it and work together because God's beginning to use them. Look at this. It says, chapter 2, verse 38, Peter replied, And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Picture, if you will, not the powerful, noble Peter. Picture the fisherman that just a few weeks earlier was fishing. And now look at him. What has God done to him? It says, repent every one of you and be baptized. He's speaking to kings. He's speaking to church officials. And God has poured His Holy Spirit on a fisherman, a common man. A man that wasn't raised in a church. A man that was seeking after God and wanted His Spirit all over him. God is speaking through him right now to change the world. it's said, oh, he's St. Peter. He's great. He was a fisherman full of the Holy Spirit. And it said, Repent, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, your children, and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. He's quoting prophecies from the Old Testament saying it is fulfilled. A fisherman is proclaiming it's fulfilled. This wasn't a prophet. This wasn't a This was not one of the leaders of the church. This was a fisherman who sought God. And he's building a church just today like he did then. He's raising up common people to be anointed with his spirit. And look what happened. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About three thousand were added to their number that day. Later it would say it grew to five thousand. Do you understand they had a net so full of fish, they go on here and it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Now who are the apostles? Common people. Not church officials. God was pouring His Spirit. Do you see that they were breaking bread from house to house? They were learning the Word of God. They were growing in the Word of God. God was doing all this work. When you look at this building, what kind of ship do you see? When you look at this building, what kind of ship is it? Is it a recreational boat? Is it something to individually help you feed yourself? That's what we do here. Man, when I look through eyes of faith, I see teaching of people. I see raising up of people. I see, I see empowering people with the Holy Spirit. I see equipping people for the, for the ministry. Can I tell you something? I see five bolts. I see a hundred shepherds. I see a thousand sheep. Do you see it? Do you have eyes of faith? Do you understand what God wants to do through this church and every church in this city? God is pouring out a vision for this church. Do you want it? Church, do you want to seek after? Do you want God to use you? Or do you want to go through this life and not figure out what plan God had for your life? I want to know. I want Jesus to be on my boat with me. Now listen to this. Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to this be the last point I want to make. It might be lengthy though. Who knows? I'm always afraid I'm going to lose a section of my Bible. All right. Hebrews chapter 11. Listen to this. Faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, what is faith? What does that mean? What does that mean? Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, up a few verses. Now, faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance that we, about what we do not see. Jesus is trying to teach them to see the invisible. You say, well, faith is seeing something that's invisible. That's not actually right. It's seeing what we hope for and having confidence that we've received it. But you say, that's seeing the invisible. It's not seeing the invisible. It's seeing the visible. Listen to this. You go all through this chapter, listen to verse 7. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Now what did he see? Nobody else could see it. But Noah seen it. Noah seen the world judgment was coming upon it. He could see rain. You know, that see it. Nobody else could see it. It's not invisible because he's seen it. Let's go on down a little further. Abraham, verse 9, By faith made his home in the promised land. He was a stranger in a foreign country, lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were the heirs with him, the same promise, for he was, what? Looking. It's invisible. Why are they looking and why are they seeing? He was looking for a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He could see it, though. He would see the city. Some of these died still looking at it. You know, an architect sees the building. There was a speech that was done by Mrs. Disney after his death. And they built one of the fabulous places that Disney um, uh, had envisioned building. And they asked her to give the the speech to dedicate it. And as they were announcing her, they said, Mr. Disney would have loved to have seen this. And she came to the platform for her speech and she said, He did and sat down. That was her speech. He already seen it. You know, when an architect draws plans, he sees it. Faith. A few more here. Verse 13. All people were living by faith when they died. They did not receive things promised. They only saw them. There it is again. It's invisible. Why do they keep seeing it? They saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. They're looking. And see, what God's called us to be is people who see. Like, what do you see when you look at your kids? What do you see when you look at your family? What do you see when you look at your church? What do you see when you look at your pastor? Man, he's not qualified. Why would God bring him here? It makes no sense. Maybe I see things. Maybe you should see things. God said in the last days, you will see visions. You will dream dreams. And God wants to create that in here. God wants us to see visions and dream dreams. God wants us to see things that the world can't see because they need the things that God has put in here. That's how every person of faith operated. They seen something. Jesus seen fish and Peter was supposed to be the fisherman. So when he seen that Jesus seen that he was terrified. Jesus was trying to teach them That you're going to see things. You're going to see things in my spirit. Praise the Lord. Stand with me this morning.